Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As Rich just said, my name is Ryan, and um, I'm your preacher for this morning. Uh, for, for those that don't know me, uh, I'm married to Rosie, who's just sitting right there. Um, yeah, 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 it's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, together we have two wonderful young faces, and uh, we run the youth here at uh, King's. Um, had you there for a second, didn't I? So, maybe not my mum, but anyway. Uh, we run the youth here at King's, who have all stayed in. Thank you very much. And um, uh, which we have a lot of fun doing. Rich said we're taking to New Day next week, um, which we're having a lot of fun with. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I've recently started my first job with Francis. Um, it's not hit. Um, and uh, graduated from uni just two weeks ago. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about uh, the troubles and the challenges we face in life. I realize I'm not the most battle-hardened person. I've got a bit of a baby face and stuff, but um, I'm going to open up the Bible and see what it has to say on the matter. It's really nice when God seems to be speaking uh, kind of in line with what I'm going to be preaching about troubles and difficulties we face. Um, really helps me. Uh, Jesus actually says in Matthew, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus warns us we're going to face trouble in our lives. It's real, it's tangible, but what do we do when it bites us? How do we deal with it when it just feels like God's abandoned us, the troubles are just mounting up around me, I can't get my head straight, I can't get out of it. Maybe life's actually feeling pretty good for you at the moment, you're kind of happy and stuff. How do you prepare for when it takes a turn for the worse and stuff, not to be too negative, but um, how do we deal with these things? How do we um, take heart, as Jesus puts it, staying faithful to God throughout? This morning we're going to see what the Bible has to say on the matter. Spoiler alert, it does have something to say on the matter. Um, so if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then wave your hand in the air and someone will come running. Um, but also it's going to appear on the screen. Maybe. Yeah, cool. Um, right. We meet Jesus about one or two years into his ministry here. Uh, he's already been baptized. He's called over his disciples. He's uh, been tempted by Satan. Uh, he's done a lot of healing, and he's done a lot of teaching as well. And we meet him here just after a really long teaching day. The passage reads, That day when evening came, he says to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In keeping with a long-lasting preaching tradition, I've got three main points this morning. Um, my first of these is real trouble. Um, so as I said, Jesus has performed many miracles at this point in time. He's had a very miraculous baptism. Um, by this point, the disciples might be thinking he's maybe a bit more than a teacher. Um, they might be wondering who he actually is, which we'll get on to later. But that day, he had just been preaching, literally uh, all day. So he's very tired. Um, he'd actually been preaching from a boat by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there was a large crowd on the shore listening to him. I've actually got a picture of the kind of boat uh, that he was in. Obviously not the actual boat. Um, this is just a, 
This is just a model of a boat they found actually in the mud of the Sea of Galilee um, about 10 years ago or something, and they, uh, they dated to, to about 0 BC, plus or minus 50 years or so. So it's right in the kind of time uh, that Jesus was around. Um, and some things that are notable about it, it's got a very low keel, um, so it can get really close to the shore, uh, which kind of adds to its credibility because Jesus would have been near to the shore, no microphone and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, as you can see, it's very open. Um, it ca carried up, it, it looks quite small on screen, but uh, it actually carried up something like 20 people. Um, so it's actually quite big. Uh, but Jesus was very tired, obviously, from preaching all day. Um, a lot of preachers these days uh, will have an afternoon nap after a single preach. Um, <laughs> probably probably going <laughs> to a full afternoon of sleep. Um, so un understandably, Jesus goes to the back in the, in the back of the boat, um, and it says he's on a cushion. Um, this isn't like a chaise long cushion that's nice and long and uh, lovely. This is just a pillow. He's lying down on the wooden deck uh, with his head on a pillow, so it's, it's not comfortable. Um, but sleepy does because he's tired. Uh, and at some point in the journey, a storm comes, um, as can be expected on lakes of dangerous nature. Um, and it says it was a, it was a bad storm. The boat was going to be rocking in the wind. There'd been a lot of rain. Another notable point of this boat is it's got really low sides for hauling in fish. Um, so the water's naturally just going to be pouring in. Um, for the disciples, they're suddenly thinking, we've got two possibilities here. We're either going to capsize and drown and die, or we're just going to sink and drown and die. It's, not, it's just really not looking good for them. What's our clue that it's a really bad storm? Most of the disciples were, well, a few of the disciples were ex-fishermen. If they think it's a bad storm, it's a really bad storm. They are the experts on storms. So we can trust. It's a bad storm. It's kind of like I'm married to my, uh, to, I'm married to my wife. I am married to my wife. My wife is a nurse. Uh, let's go with that. And um, so she's kind of seen everything. Uh, if I've got a cold, then I'm not going to get any sympathy because she's, she's seen something worse. If I've got the flu, she's seen something worse. If I've lost a finger, she's seen something worse. I got appendicitis last year, that got me some sympathy, but it's not an option for me anymore. Um, <laughs> so any ideas, give them to me. But, um, so we have, to, we have to dispel this idea that the, the disciples are these kind of weak, mild, timid people who um, don't really know what they're doing. Jesus is constantly annoyed with them and stuff like that. They knew what they were doing here. This was their element. They were in control. When Jesus went to sit and sleep at the back of the boat, they probably think, that's fine, Jesus, we've got this. We can sail if there's one thing we can do. But they faced real trouble. They got into it. And we can underplay their trouble in a couple of different ways. One way is to belittle Jesus. A lot of people, in, in, not in this room, but a lot of people will try and belittle Jesus this way by saying, um, maybe it was not actually a big storm. Maybe it was just a like, little bit of rain, tiny bit of wind, um, and kind of Jesus standing up to command it to stop. It was just coincidental with a tiny storm stopping, as they do. Um, that's if you want to dismiss Jesus. You can belittle the disciples in this as well and come out with statements like, if Jesus wanted to cross the lake, if he wanted to get to the other side, they should have had faith that they were going to get to the other side. But that's just not fair on them. This was a real, really bad storm. We know that. They're ex-fishermen. Ex-fishermen were scared people. Not scared people. Scared common people. Um, so we know it's a really bad storm. They were facing real trouble. And we can underplay it that way. But what do we do in our lives? A lot of people out there are very dramatic, and uh, they definitely don't underplay their troubles. They do it the other way around. But a lot of us, we actually, especially as Christians, we like to underplay our 
the difficulties we're going through. And maybe it's because we've, we've got this sense that there was a promise from God when we became a Christian that life should just go well. It should just, everything should just line up in place and there's my life done. Given it to God, lovely life. We know that's not the reality though. We know that if we face real problems in our, in our many financial issues that everyone faces at some point in time, the debt that keeps uh, building up in our family issues where we get bereavement and separation that are so painful, health issues and work issues, and even sin issues, just trying to persevere in the faith is, can be a real struggle. The important thing for us to remember is that God doesn't promise that our life's going to be easy. So these are real troubles. Jesus acknowledges it in the passage I read earlier. These are real problems. But almost more importantly, God knows they're real problems. He does. He realizes. He's not some big God up in heaven looking down at all of us ants thinking, what are they worrying about? These aren't real issues. I'll show them real issues. He knows that they're real problems that we face in our day-to-day life. But how do we deal with them? What did the disciples do wrong? And how do we do the same? And how do we avoid doing what they do wrong? I'm going to propose to you today that the way we're going to deal with our real trouble is by having real faith in the real Jesus. And some of you are instantly think this sounds a bit like a greetings card kind of statement that your eager Christian buddy like pulls out every now and again when you're feeling a bit down. Um, and others might even be thinking British Gas doesn't accept real faith in the real Jesus as payment for my electricity bill. Um, but we're going to see what, how they do actually help us with, uh, with the trouble we face in life. Um, uh, and it's in this passage. Um, so point number two uh, for you this morning is real faith. In verse 40, Jesus asks the disciples, do you still have no faith? Which is a really cutting thing for Jesus to say to someone. I think I I wouldn't enjoy that. But to to see what on earth this faith is that Jesus was expecting of them, what was he looking for? We need to look at what did the disciples know? Firstly, like I said earlier, they'd they'd probably heard about his baptisms. Um, Some of them would have actually probably been there as disciples of John the Baptist. And Jesus' baptism was a very miraculous event. There was a point in time where God the Father spoke down to his son, calling him, him his son from heaven, and the Holy Spirit rested him on him in the form of a dove. That's a very miraculous baptism. Mine looked absolutely nothing like that, and mine was actually done in a birthing pool, so there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's, uh, he's also done a lot of healing. He's also done a lot of healing. There's been countless healings of lepers and blind people and paralytics, paraplegics, and so on. Um, so they're, you know, they're thinking he's, he's something special. It's not unreasonable for us to think they might think he's a prophet. Maybe Jesus is a prophet. Minor or major, they know. He's a prophet, maybe. Very unreasonable for us to think he's anything, like for us to think that they think it's anything more than that. Um, what do we know? Well, post-cross, we're now in an amazing position where we know that Jesus is the risen son of God. Um, and that he is the Messiah and that he's died for our sins and that he is God. Um, this is such an amazing position to be in, and it's a lot better position to be in than the disciples were. And we have to remember that looking back. Um, knowledge should build faith, and we're definitely in the knowledge side of things. But what did they do that was so wrong? What did the disciples do that meant that Jesus knew they've not got much faith? Firstly, they woke him up, which is like usually rude um, most of the time in life, but it kind of just raises another question. How was Jesus still asleep? 
it's a really bad storm. Um, there's going to be a lot of, w- of water. It says there's a lot of water coming into the boat. Um, the wind's going to be rocking it back and forth. There's going to be disciples and other people on the boat who are running around trying to make sure they don't sink and capsize and stuff. This isn't a restful or enjoyable experience to try and sleep through. I spent my entire life as a child, not my entire child life, I'm not still a child. Um, I spent my entire childhood uh, sneaking past my parents' bedroom because of how light sleepers they were. They'd be woken by like a light shower on their bedroom window, and it was ridiculous. And Jesus is here sleeping through a storm. How is he doing this? Some of you might instantly be thinking, is, is supernatural sleep a like, secret gift of the Spirit that Paul doesn't tell me about, and I'm supposed to pray about a bit more? Like, supernatural sleep. Um, I hate to disappoint, but it's probably not fair. Um, but maybe it was, um, but what was it? What does it tell us about Jesus that he was asleep in this situation? It tells us he's, he wasn't really caring. Was it? Like he, didn't, he wasn't bothered. He wasn't fussed by the storm. The storm was not fussing. He, he was able to sleep um, through a horrible storm because he just wasn't fussed by it. Why was he not fussed by it? Was it because he supernaturally knew this isn't actually a bad storm? It'll, it'll blow over, it's fine. Its bark is worse than, it, worse than its bite. I don't think so. Because otherwise he wouldn't be able to rebuke the disciples afterwards, would he? He wouldn't. They didn't know it was not a bad storm. They definitely thought it was a bad storm. So that can't be the reason. I think it was that he had a very supernatural peace and rest that only came from his faith in God and faith in his Father. He had some truth as well that the disciples didn't have. That he knew he, was, he would somehow make it to the other side of the lake because it wasn't his time to die. Um, but he wouldn't have known the details. And so his peace and rest must only have come from his very, very close relationship with his father and his strong faith in God, something the disciples didn't have. Truth wouldn't have been enough, would it? Because the truth is that spiders don't usually kill that many people in England. Um, I think the number's still pretty low. And yeah, a lot of people are afraid of spiders. That the truth is very different to our reality and our feelings. Um, would faith have been enough? Yeah, because the disciples, if they'd had faith, then Jesus presumably wouldn't have rebuked them for their lack of faith. It must have been enough because they didn't have any truth to hold on to. In Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So what was Jesus' first sign that um, that the disciples didn't have much faith, that they were lacking in the faith department. It's the first sign is that they're afraid, isn't it? He knows that you know, he's not afraid. I've got faith in God, that's why I'm not afraid. They're afraid. They must not have faith in God. Not like I do, anyway. It's probably quite clear to Jesus. That's number, uh, reason number one. What's the second reason that he can see their lack of faith? I think it's the way they, that, he, that they come to Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus. It's very unusual, I think, if you, if you read it. It's an odd way to come to Jesus. They come to him with the title teacher, um, which portrays a few things. But firstly, I'm not coming to a teacher for any serious problem in my life or help, unless it's like a grammatical argument I'm having with my wife. Nothing... I'm not coming to sorry. I'm not coming to um, I'm not coming to a teacher for anything else. If I'm in a burning building, I'm not phoning up the local primary school. And if I'm being mauled by a bear, I'm not phoning up my local head teacher. It's just not it's just not happening. You don't come to a teacher for those things. At the same time, 
it they, early, later on in the passage, it says they were surprised. Not that surprised, they were, um, they were terrified and they asked, who is this? Um, and so they were, they were completely shocked at what Jesus actually did. That was, it was a very surprising act for Jesus to calm the storm. Coupled with that and the teacher thing, I don't think they had any expectation of what Jesus would do. I don't think they knew what the result of waking up Jesus would actually be. It was a panicked thing they did in their fear, and they had no expectation that he could calm the storm. Which, go, which is, uh, adds to their lack of faith in that they then accuse him of apathy, of not caring. They say, don't you care if we drown? Which, if you don't expect someone can save you from drowning, then you can't accuse them of not caring if you drown. It's ridiculous. You can't go around and like, accusing bystanders of the problems that you face. It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. And from these two things, first, Jesus, they had fear. Jesus knows they don't have faith in God. Second, they accuse him of apathy while not having any idea what he can do they don't have faith in jesus and jesus just can see it in them what do we do what do we do that's similar firstly we love to accuse jesus of stuff um, and god of stuff um, sometimes it's really conscious do you care I could, I, like why would you let this happen um, you must not care about this sometimes it's a lot less conscious stopping praying for something you've prayed for for quite a while because it just feels like god, god doesn't care about this doesn't care about this issue that I've got. Sometimes it just, it's just feelings. It feels like God's abandoned you. It feels like he's asleep in the back of your boat while you're fighting the storm and trying to get through it. It feels like he's asleep in your illness, in your debt, in your family loss. He just seems like a restful God. It seems like he didn't stop resting on the seventh day. He just kept going. I had a similar experience last summer um, in the I'd spent, it was my third year of uni, and I'd spent no time at uni, really. Um, I, ha I hadn't been a very diligent student. And so I was very worried about my exams, and I spent a lot of time praying for them. And I'd, just not, I'd not put the preparation in, which was why I was praying about them so much. And um, unbelievably, I didn't get very good results, um, to everyone's shock and disgust. And um, I blamed God for it. My gut reaction was to feel abandoned by God. Like, I put in this prayer time, like... How could you not have given me really good results despite not knowing the subject? Um, that was ridiculous of me, but um, I know for a lot of you, you were in a situation which wasn't actually in your control. It wasn't, um, it wasn't your fault. You didn't get into this situation by anything you'd done, and yet God still feels asleep in it. How can we deal with that? It's useful to know some truth. Um, truth feeds faith, and faith is going to give us the peace and rest to persevere through any storm. So what's the truth we can have here? We've got to know that God does actually care. He does actually care. Regardless of how we feel, he does actually care. We know this from uh, verses like John 3.16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know Jesus' death and resurrection was the, our ultimate um, sign that God does love us. It's a solid rock that will just go, keep on going for eternity. That, yes, God does actually love us. Regardless of where life's going, up and down, God does love us. And it's something we, can, we need to remember. Regardless of how, how much our feelings are swaying us, how much the, the winds of this life are like, rocking us back and forth, we have to remember that, no, God does care. Regardless of what's going on, God does care. Let's look at the hypothetical situation where instead of waking up rudely, like poking a lot and get up Jesus um, the disciples come to him and 
uh, sit down next to him and then calmly ask, Jesus, how are you so calm in this situation? Maybe he'd have still got up and calmed the storm and did what he did. But maybe he'd have just got up, sat next to them, saved you, Jim, saved your kid, uh, and told him about the, his father, told him about um, where he finds his peace, told him about um, the faith he has, told him about what they can put their faith uh, in. And maybe they'd um, have instead had the peace and rest that Jesus had to just continue through the storm regardless. It's hypothetical, so I don't know. But the headline this morning is sometimes Jesus will calm the storm in your life and we can have faith that that will happen because clearly here he has the power to do it. But sometimes he'll just give you the peace and the rest and the fortitude to persevere through the storm. Why? Why would he do that? Um, Romans 8 verse 28 to 29 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What isn't this verse promising? It's not promising a really easy life where everything just keeps, everything goes well. If you love God, everything is good. It's also not saying um, every issue in your life, every storm and bad thing in your life is secretly a good thing. Under, underneath it all, it's actually a good thing. No, bad things are still bad things. Um, this is purely a promise that the future is always going to be good. We've got an amazing future promised for us. What do I not mean by that? Once again, I don't mean that for every bad thing that happens in your life, you can always have faith that around the corner, there's going to be something good. Like, oh, I'm in debt at the moment, but around the corner, there's a lottery ticket with my name on it or something. There's, it's not going to work that way either. It's not around the corner, there's going to be something good. What it is, is given to us in verse 29. To be conformed to the image of his son. Our good promise that we've got for the, uh, for the rest of eternity is that through every bad thing that genuinely is a bad thing in our life, the result can be, if you love God, that he's making you look more and more like his son. That our future is to become more and more like Jesus. And that through every storm that we have the, get the peace and faith and fortitude to persevere through, we're becoming closer and closer to be like Jesus which is a really good promise to have, and much better than little bits of ups and downs. That's an eternal future, rather than lottery that does you for 20 years, 30 years. This is, you're like Jesus for eternity, which is a lot better. So how are we going to get this real faith, though, that's going to bring us peace and rest um, in God through any storm that we, that we face? We need, to have, we need to know the real Jesus. We're going to find out who the real Jesus is. And that's going to give us uh, faith to persevere through any storm, face any trouble that we have. So my third point this morning, believe it or not, is real Jesus. Yeah. Um, in, the last, in verse 41, the disciples say, uh, they ask quite astutely, who is this? Who is this? Who do they think he is? I said earlier, they probably think he's a prophet. So maybe with their good Old Testament scripture that they, might, they probably had, who are they thinking that Jesus could be compared to? In their situation, they have a prophet that was asleep on a boat when a storm came in, and then the prophet stood up and calmed the storm. It's quite similar to the story of Jonah, isn't it? 
Jonah was a prophet who was asleep on a boat when a storm came. And then he got kicked off the boat and God calmed the storm. It's a bit of a different ending, isn't it? So maybe the disciples here are thinking, is Jesus somehow God? Which is an outstanding thought for them because they've been their whole life been, there is one God, there is one God. But suddenly they're maybe starting to think, is this God Jesus? We now live post-cross, which is, a, once again, a lovely place to live. We know that, yes, Jesus is God, which is fantastic. We know that he uh, died on the cross to forgive all of our sins. We know that uh, he's risen again so that we have an eternal hope and future uh, with God, and he's brought us into relationship um, with our Heavenly Father. That's a great place to, um, to sit, and it's one of the many truths that we can uh, hold to feed our faith and keep us steady through all of the, the waves and the up and down of life. Let's look at some other truths. Firstly, Jesus has real power. We can see in this verse that Jesus definitely has some real power. Um, we're British, so we know that the weather is a serious business. Um, and so for Jesus to, to calm it is, is very impressive and shows his real power, which is excellent for us because it means that we can have a hope and faith that when we're praying for at the end of a storm, Jesus really can and will calm it. We can have a hope for that. We can put our faith in that. Don't think that the message of this storm, uh, this storm, this story, is that Jesus can give you the peace and rest to just grin and bear everything. Um, he will, but it doesn't mean he's not going to calm the storm you're in. He can do it. He has the power. So keep praying for it. It's amazing for us to pray for each other and for um, ourselves because this, uh, Jesus gave us the ability to calm storms in our own lives, which is fantastic. What's another truth for us to hold on to? Jesus died for us, which I've said a couple times this morning already. It's the ultimate job. Once again, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It is our ultimate um, ultimate measure meter stick thing for God does love us he always loves us he always cares for us regardless of what we feel he always cares for us and we just have to remember that it's a truth that we are, we can use and use and use to bring us um, the faith that is going to give us peace and rest throughout any storm it's really important for us to have it and to hold on to it because it is going to sway with us with the wind and the rain if we're not careful Again, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus promises rest. I'm going to say that Jesus' rest is best. It's the only rest that is sustainable and lasting, um, and counterintuitively, it's the only rest that's actually really that good for us. We can, uh, we can put as much faith and much time and much effort into as many of the like, rest-building things that we have in our lives, holidays and distractions and money and stuff that um, we try and distract the troubles we're in with, uh, with, with these things to try and bring us the peace that we're looking for. But when we're weary, when we're burdened, when we're stressed out, the only rest that we can actually find that's sustainable comes from Jesus. Tim Keller has a cool term for it, I think. Uh, he calls it Sabbath rest, um, which kind of harks back to um, old, uh, in the Garden of Eden where we'd have just been so close to God that regardless of what the work we were doing and how hard, we were, uh, how hard life was, we'd have 
had a deep rest with God. We'd have had a deep peace because of our relationship with God. And it's something that only comes from time with God, which is another faith builder. By time with God, this, this isn't a like, hidden phrase, by which I mean keep going through the Christian motions, keep like, saying the right stuff and shaking the right hands and doing all of that thing. Um, that's not effectual and it's not Christianity. What I mean by time with God is time where your desire and your drive and your reason is purely to meet with God, purely to have an actual um, experience of meeting with him. Uh, this could be through... This could be through seeking him through prayer. This could be through seeking him through the Bible. It could be just by waiting on him and seeing what he can um, say to you in your life. But it's time with God that's going to bring you peace and bring you rest and build your faith so that you can get more peace and rest. It's never going to be a waste of time. If you're a Christian here this morning, then I'd encourage you to keep spending time with God. Spend more and more time with God. It's slightly counterintuitive because you're going to make yourself slightly more busy and you instantly think, oh no, I'm far too busy and stressed and worried to possibly spend time with God today. I've got far too much at work. I've got far too much at home with the kids. There's no way I can um, spend more time or any time with God today. But it's actually the only thing that's going to give you the rest and the peace that's going to get rid of that weariness and burden. Spend time with him. See what, see what you find there. Um, if you're not a Christian this morning, then the same offer is still open to you. Jesus came um, that, uh, that he could open a path to, um, to God, that we could actually have a relationship with our Father who we were supposed to have a relationship with. Which means your two-week holiday, your spa day, your weekend away, they're just not going to satisfy and I think we kind of all know this part of it, like from experience and stuff, um, because a two-week holiday, regardless of how good it can be, uh, can be ruined by your first day back at work being an awful one. The burden and stress just comes back in an instant. You know, that was a terrible day at work. It's as if the two-week holiday didn't even happen. I've got some nice pictures, but that's pretty much it. And that's a shame. If you want something lasting and sustainable, then Jesus' rest is best. It's the rest that will just keep on giving and going, take you through the storms, take you through the troubles. And all it takes is to give your life to Jesus and follow him and meet with God. It's, a, it's an offer that's open to you. We've seen this morning that we do face real troubles. We do really face actual genuine difficulties. They're not fake. They're not imagined. They're not an artifact of our old lives. But by having real faith in, in Jesus and in God, we can find a peace and rest um, that just trounces everything else out there we just can't find that peace and rest anywhere else and it's open to us god is always there because he cares because he sent his son to die he's always there with open arms willing to give us the peace and rest that we're looking for i'm going to pray um and then uh, i guess we'll close um but if you've got any questions for me or questions in general the one elder that's here this morning is generally quite knowledgeable as well um <laughs> So uh, feel free to grab us. Um, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I thank you so much that uh, you have made a path to the Father for us, that, that we can now have a relationship with you. Um, and this relationship can, can calm storms and it can give us the peace and rest to persevere. And I just pray for each one of us now, whatever situation we're in, that you will give us that peace and rest to persevere, that we will come out the other side of it closer to being like you, Jesus. Amen.